And I love the way songs build. I, I love when, you know, they start off soft and shallow, and you can hear the kids up in the balcony. I kind of dig all that stuff, because I was like one of those kids that, you know, would scream and yell just to be obnoxious. It was fun. And I love, I love just the building of a song because when it when it builds it takes me in a place of a journey i love that god just takes things and builds things up i love it because we live in a world of specialization do we not think about it. everything today is specialized you can't go to the doctor today and see the doc right when we go to the doctor, sometimes we'll see a nurse practitioner, and, and they're way smarter than I am. I mean, they're geniuses, but sometimes I wonder, you know, you, you might go to a lawyer, you might see a paralegal, you might, you, you know, and I appreciate specialization. I, I love radiologists, I love neuroradiologists, I love electrical physiologists, I love cardiologists, I love anyologists, I love all that stuff, uh, and I appreciate them. And when we're sick and, and we need specialization, we, we want those things. I try to be a person that specializes as well. But nonetheless, but what's interesting is, is that sometimes in this world, it's become so much about specialization that we forget that God that God moves in generalization. I'm, I'm talking to somebody today. You see, this is how God moves. We, we, we get so caught up in, in thinking about I mean, everything is measured. We measure everything on specialization. Think about it, even athletics. It's, it's, if it's football, it's how fast is your 40 time? Uh, how high is your vertical? What is your height? What is your weight? What is the span of your hand breath? I mean, it's all these, everything is so specialized that it takes people that don't have on the charts a specialization and it takes people like that and it puts them into generalization. So if you don't look a certain way or don't talk a certain way or don't act a certain way, then you can't be something in a certain way. But you know what I love about God? is God says that he doesn't judge on what man judges somebody. See, that's what I love about the Lord. He doesn't judge on that. He takes and does something else. Everything is so specialized. And think about it. If you want to get in this program, you've got to have... You gotta have great academics or you gotta have a great degree. I just wanna say something. Some of the most wealthy people that I know in this area in Charleston, some of the smartest people I know in this Charleston just have a high school degree. And some of the not smartest people I know have a lot of degrees. Now I'm not knocking it, I'm just trying to say is that what man made gives you cannot ever circumvent or be better than what God can give you. And so for those of us like me who live in generalization where the world will look at you and say, you're average, here's what I want you to know. Though the world might say that we're average, our God is not. And so since we don't rely on the strength of ourselves and we lie, like we sing about in that strong, so sometimes it's just good, even when you don't feel it, even when you, just let the word of God or let the songs that are anointed by God speak prophetically over the people of God. I'm just so sick of specialization. And I'll tell you why. Acts chapter 4. I have a regret. I have a lot of regrets, but I want to tell you, and I say this tongue in cheek, but I have a regret for giving you the word of the year. What is the word of the year? I hate that word. I despise that word. 
I am sorry I ever said that word. Because you know how it works in God's kingdom, right? We don't, listen, this kingdom that we're in is not like, the, it's not the kingdom that like we're, okay, we're flowing in man-made kingdom, but let's be honest, we flow in God's kingdom. Here's what happens. I got to go through stuff before you go through it. That's just the way it works, people. And I don't like it. And I'm at a place in my life right now, I just want to tell you something, the last 48 hours have been, in 19 years, of preaching. I can honestly tell you, and Lord, you know I'm telling the truth. I can honestly say I'm in a place that I am not sure. And that is a scary place to be. The older you get, when you're not sure, you feel a lot of weight. Come on, somebody, people that maybe just, you know, kind of went through maybe 80s with me or something, 70s. Can y'all talk to me? You, you, we feel a lot of responsibility. I am, I'm telling you, the last 48 hours have turned my world upside down. And I want you to know something. I believe that God is, mm, God is not into specialization. God is into himself. Here we go, Acts 4. Let me just, let me just break, break it down for you. Here we go. Now, uh, I, I'm going to start with, give you the backdrop. Acts 3, Peter and John have the Holy Spirit. And they walk into the place of specialization. They walk into the place called the temple, where everybody specializes. These people specialize in, oh, these are the lambs that are going to be slain. These people specialize, and these are the turtle doves that are going to be slain. Uh, these people specialize in the different types of money changers. These people specialize in certain type of grain offering. These people specialize with the robes they get on. Oh, we got the singers over here that are on the porch. We got the gatekeepers that are over here. Oh, we got the entrance people over here. We got six on the east side, four on this side, four on the west side. I mean, we got people all over the place, and then we've got all these Sadducees. We've got Pharisees, and then we've got chief priests, we've got their guard, everybody's into specialization, and yet where's Jesus? So they walk in, and there's this guy lying on the steps. They said, Look at me. Silver and gold have a number in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise and walk, and boom. They reach out, grab by the hand, the dude is healed. He's going crazy, he's clinging to him. The crowd's gathering around, and all of a sudden they start bringing the noise. Okay, that's 80s language, people, for just start preaching the word of God. All right, 70s shucking corn, whatever you want to call it. And they start bringing it, right? And they're bringing it, and all of a sudden, then Acts chapter 4, the, the, the guards, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests, they're like, who are you teaching, and what are you teaching? They're like, well, let me tell you what we're teaching. We're teaching, you can look at it in Acts chapter 4 in the first four verses, we're teaching on the resurrection of the dead with Jesus Christ being the first one. And they're like, hmm, um, you're going directly to jail, we're not playing Monopoly, you can't go past home any place go you're just like straight to jail so they keep him overnight they bring him out acts 4 verse 5 the next day their their rulers elders and scribes assembled in jerusalem with ennis the high priest caiaphas john and alexander and all the members of the high priestly family specialization somebody after they had I love this. After they, had, uh, after they had Peter and John stand before them, they asked them questions. And I love these questions. They're specialization questions. They're like, how do you know what you know? Here we go. Bring it. By what power or in what name 
have you done this? By what power and what name? Notice that they're going to go right to Jesus because in his name there is... It just hit somebody. Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, and I love, mm, here comes some courage, word of the year type flow language, let it be known to all of you and to all the people. And I, I like the way Peter said, if you ain't even here, I'm still going to speak to you. <laughs> That's kind of how my mom spoke. When you get home, let it be known to all you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you, I, I love, he's like pointing fingers. Like I'm just like, you, you jabroni, do you smell what Jesus is cooking? I'm like digging this, right? whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before here before you healthy. This Jesus. And then he begins to quote Psalm 118 verse 12. Or 118 verse 22. The stone rejected by you builders has become the cornerstone. Then verse 12, which is a very popular passage. There is salvation in no one else. I'm going to bust another version as I, as I quote it. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so that's a very powerful verse. But then sometimes we forget about verse 13. Verse 13 says, when they observe the what, saints? I mean, courage, courage, courage courage when they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized check this out somebody they were uneducated and untrained I am just getting a little sick and tired that only the educated and the trained have authority to speak for Jesus see I like the way God's economy works kingdom God takes people who are general and makes them special. But the world says, oh, you're gifted and talented. You come over here in this. And Jesus said, that's good. If you're faithful over little, you'll be faithful over much. But to the rest of the class, which would include me, the non-gifted and the non-talented, Jesus says to me, come all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. And my yoke is easy, my burden is light, and oh, by the way, you're not just going to sit and have just a nice life. I am going to use you because you are special to me, so you are therefore, you are going to go 
because Christianity is a movement, you are going to go and you're going to make disciples with what I give you. And all you got to have is me. You don't even have to have an extra tunic. You don't have to have extra money. But when I send you, you're going to go and then with a peace of God, rest in a place of God, that's where the presence of God is telling you to stay. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed, recognized they had been with Jesus. And so, Lord, my prayer is 1 Corinthians 2, 4 and 5. That I don't come with wise and persuasive words, but I come with a demonstration of the Spirit and the power. And God, forgive us that we put all the weight on degrees and specialization when you said about academics knowledge puffs up but love builds up I am not saying Lord that academics is bad but I am saying they are not my God and so I pray today that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight. I pray that your spirit would move, that we'd be radically transformed. And for those in this room that just want a little touch of Jesus, may they just get more of Jesus. And Lord, may those of us that who need your grace and mercy stand in all of it, and may we move forward in it, and may we trust you like the song said, that our God is bigger, our God is greater, and that our God is stronger, and that the name of Jesus overcomes any and everything. The government rests on his shoulders. So we love you, and please forgive us, Lord. And we thank you for that, because of what you did in Jesus. In his name we pray. All the saints said, what? So here's, here's my point. The gospel of Jesus Christ gives us courage to trust the promises of God, because it's not built on us. That's the whole point. It's on, it's on Summit Church Facebook. You can see the notes. The whole point is, is that we can trust, we can just trust who God is, what he says about himself, because it's not built on us. This whole process of our Christianity, our salvation, our sanctification, our eventual glorification is not built on us. It is built on Jesus Christ. It is built on him. Look at verse 13. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained. I'm talking general. Pinto, beans, cornbread, chow type relish people. Get a visual. They were amazed. You know what the word amazed means in Greek? It literally means to marvel with admiration. It means that they looked at Peter and John and they admired and they were so, their, their marveling created such an admiration that they knew that Peter and John had something that man couldn't give them. Regalia, degrees on a wall, financial status, Powerful men with swords and weapons standing around. Those people who had all that the world had were still in awe. Let me tell you what I do know. LeBron is LeBron can play, but I tell you what, there'll be a day when LeBron has to pay. In other words, what I'm saying is that when LeBron gets to his deathbed, he's not going to be calling for a basketball. He's going to be calling for Jesus.
And when people need, when they get to the end of who they are, they realize that they don't have what God is going to call for. And he's going to call for righteousness. And there's only one who is righteous, and that's Jesus Christ. And they're going to be standing in awe of the Spirit of God in us because it's the Spirit of God in us that has them look to us because we have what they don't have. It doesn't matter what you have by man. What we need is only what God can give. So they were admired. Check this out. They were amazed and recognized that they had what, saints? What's the last three words? Been with who? Though that word been literally means in the Greek to be present. You can write it down, circle it, put it in your Bible, type it on your phone, look it up in your Greek lexicon. I don't care what you do with it, but what I am saying is this. It literally means to be present. In other words, not that they had just been with Jesus, but that Jesus is... Not that they had just been with Jesus, but Jesus is with... I changed it. It's a game changer for me. When I read this, I was rocked. Two weeks, two weeks we celebrate Easter. And I want when people come in here, when you come in here on Sunday, people say, why is the corporate worship gathering so important? Well, number one, it, it's, it's an answer to the Lord's prayer. Thy will be done on, come on somebody, on as it is. And well, if we're going to be corporate in heaven, we might as well be corporate on mm. Well, never mind. That's point number one. Point number two is that God can do things in the, in the corporate gathering of his people that he might not do in the individual gathering of his people. In other words, God might do something and speak through somebody else what he might not say to you in your private quiet time with him. God can do miraculous things. But what's powerful in the corporate gathering of God's people is that people can sense the presence of God. If they walk in here and they feel deadness, I promise you it's not because God is dead. It's because we are. And I noticed this, it don't matter how much luggage I bring into the presence of God, God always seems to take it away. But that's only if I'm willing to let go. Because God ain't going to play tug of war. Oh, I just hit somebody with that. That was free. I didn't even plan to say it. God's not going to play tug of war with you. It's not like finding Nemo. Mine, mine, mine. Never mind. Get a visual. He's not going to do it. He's going to say, man, it's your, you got limited free will. You, you want it? You, you, you take it. But I'm here, and my arm is not too short. I can find you wherever you are. I got it. Because, listen, that's what's powerful. God doesn't need our specialization. All he wants is our generalization. Come to me. That's what the Lord said. Just come to me. Don't come with a degree. Don't come with a skill. Don't come with a word. Just come to me. That's the whole point, is us just being into him so that he can be into us. And he initiated that right when Jesus came to us, right in the Gospel of John, when he came to us and became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He sheltered with us. He tabernacled with us. He cast a shade of his presence with us so that we could rest underneath it, Psalm 91. I'm going to get there. Because to been with Jesus means to be present with Jesus. It's not that been with in a past sense. It's been with because he's always with me. He will never leave us or what? Mm-hmm. 
So Peter and John are standing there with the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God, the Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That's who's in us. So when the boss says you're fired, God says that don't mean you ain't going to be hired. You see, that's, that's, how, that's how God works because in his economy, we trust in him. We trust in the God. We trust in the one who's bigger than everything else that goes around us. So when we're lying there on our deathbed, uh, Lord will, I'm going to leave here and I'm going to go see a guy. He's only got a couple of days to live. He's, he's struggling. And so after I grab a quick bite, I'm going to go see this person who's, who's, who's dying. And I, here's what I've been praying. I've been praying for peace because I want, I want you to know this, that though we walk through the valley, we still go through, we don't end up in a cave. We don't end up staying in the death place because God will take us through the death place. That's where he crushes Satan and Romans underneath our feet because every time a believer dies and is present with Jesus, it screams the resurrection of Christ. So... I can trust these promises. I got courage because in Matthew chapter 1, the angel told Joseph, you are going to name the child Jesus and he will be Emmanuel, which means what? Every time you say Jesus, you're saying God is with me. Every time you say, oh, Jesus, or sweet Jesus, or Jesus, you're saying, God is with me. Listen, if God wasn't with you, he couldn't hear you when he... I'm going to go back here and act like I'm playing because I don't know if I'm talking to somebody. If God can't hear you, then he's not with you. But he can. And then he tells us in John 10, my sheep know my voice. So here's what's awesome. We, God is with us, and if he is with us, here's what I want you to get today. If he is with us, he's going to hold all things together. Check this out. This is, so, this is such a powerful passage for me. To the, go back to, 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 to verse 11. This is going and, and, and Acts 4, verse 11. This Jesus is, and then all of a sudden, this is so good. Woo, this is so powerful. I mean, the Lord showed me something so deep, and I'm running out of time, people. Oh, my word. Let me bust on this. So what happens is, is that God showed me that all of a sudden, Peter is saying, Peter is saying, he quotes Psalm 118, verse 22. He begins to quote this, and he says, the stone rejected by you builders has become the what? The cornerstone means that the cornerstone holds everything together. You take the cornerstone out, everything Come on, everything, if you take the cornerstone out, everything what? It falls. Colossians 1, 15 through 17, the Spirit of God immediately took me there. To the best I understand, he said, the Son is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know who God is, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. The Son is the image of the visible God. It's not about his looks, it's about his character. For in him... All things, check this out, in the name of Jesus, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth. That means everything that I have, me, I'm created for him. My marriage, created for him. My children, created for him. The job I'm in, created for him. The finances I have, created for him. Where I'm going, created for him. My past can be redeemed by him. Everything is for him, in him, and by him, and it is for his glory. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. Man, I love that language. Look, let me tell you something. My boss was created for Jesus. 
My governor was created for Jesus. My president was created for Jesus. My country was created for Jesus. This world was created for Jesus. And I'm not saying that they're going to stay with him. What I am saying is that God's going to be coming back and redeeming them. Look what he says in verse 17. He is before all things, and in him, all things what, saints? This is verse 17. You don't know what I'm talking about. In him, all things what? Hold together. Look at this. He, all things are held together. Listen, it is the name of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. We have courage today to trust what God is doing, to trust in the promised Messiah that he is coming back. Whatever we are, whatever we do, we have the courage because we can trust that God is with us. Now, here's what's interesting about this passage that the Lord showed me. Psalm 118, verse 22. I remember when I was teaching the book of Joshua, I began to understand these ideas of the Hallel passages. Uh, You ever said the word hallelujah? Not juror, but that's close. That's another lady. When I, I'm just kidding. Uh, hallelujah. You ever see the word hallelujah? Hallelujah is a compound word. Hallel. Praise you the Yah. Lord. So hallelujah means praise the what? So there were these psalms in, in 113, Psalms 113 verse through Psalm 118. Some, some people say it's through Psalm 111 that they, these, these psalms would be sung. They would be sung and the people would recite them back and they had these priests on the steps uh, 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 of the portico of the temple and they would proclaim these psalms, these hallel, praise. Praise, hallel is Hebrew, praise Psalms, hallelujah, is Hebrew, praise the Lord. These praise psalms, and in the midst of the praise psalm is here this passage. All of a sudden, it hit me. That's why Peter used Psalm 118. I thought, well, he's got the Holy Spirit. He's basically got the whole Bible memorized. He can just pull from anything he wants. Why did he use Psalm 118 verse 22? Why? Because this was during what festival? Anybody know? The festival of starts with the letter P, and it's not Passover. Pentecost. And so what happens during the festival of Pentecost, they're celebrating with the Ten Commandments. When the Word of God came down to the people. When the presence of God, because the Word is His presence, His presence came down. All of a sudden, the same time they were celebrating Pentecost in Judaism is when we celebrate Pentecost in Christianity because the Holy Spirit came down. And so the Holy Spirit says, you want to know about praise? You're over here singing praise. I'm in the temple and y'all are singing about praise. The people are reciting praise. Well, here's the answer to the praise. His name is Jesus. It's Hillel. And they would sing this. And one of the festivals that they would sing, it's so awesome. One of the festivals, they, they would sing this. There was three major festivals a year that they would sing this. But you got to understand the imagery because everything in Judaism is imagery. So they would sing this. this, this he, Jesus is the cornerstone. They're, they're singing this. And immediately the people thinking about, oh, we do this during the festival of booths or the festival of tabernacles. Now, here's what's so cool about this. There was a festival in Judaism. In the Old Testament, they were commanded. There was a festival where they, the people, would leave their homes and for seven days, they would go out. Some of you are really outdoorsy and you like camping and you like all your wood stuff. That's great. Holiday Inn, no TV, that's rough for me. All right, hallelujah. Go out there and sleep in your little, what are those things called? I always want to say Enoch, but that's on Star Wars, isn't it? No? Okay, never mind. All right, so uh, Eno's in. I'm just thinking about all the raccoons that go up and down the trees. You ever seen those raccoons when we go over there to eat by the swimming pool? 
You ever seen, they come down and get our food. When y'all are all out there playing your little sand volleyball and looking all smooth and glistening with your sweat, going, how you doing? You know, and all that stuff you're doing. And, and there's the raccoons just coming down and eating your food. Well, anyway, so you go ahead and sleep in your Eno and let the raccoon, well, anyway. All right, so, babies. All right, so, my point being is that they would build these booths. So here's where we're going to land it. So we would build these booths. Here's what I want you to understand. When God is with us, he doesn't need specialization. He just needs our generalization. And so in the festival booths, they would, or tabernacles, they would, for seven days, the people of God would celebrate, and they would build like this wall, like, you know, wood, and on top, they would put a roof. Now, here's what's interesting. The material that they would use for the roof. Listen, if you, I want you to get this. Check this out. The material that they would use for the roof is the stuff that was on the ground of the threshing floor. It could not be the fruit of the tree. It had to be the trash of the tree. Most people would use the leftover parts of a palm branch, and next week is Palm Sunday. Oh, this is so good. It's just too good. I hope we can connect it. They would take for the roof of these booths or these tabernacles, these man-made tents, if you will, the roof of the temples had to be used. What had to be used was the stuff that was considered trash. Here's what's interesting. The very thing that God used to protect the people of God is what the people on earth would consider trash. If God can use trash to cover the shelter, he can use me. What's left on the floor. And here's what's interesting. Oh, man. I just wish I could proclaim it. The shelter... The roof is what cast a shade. And in Judaism, in the festival, they would say what's ever cast in the shade is what they would call, or one rabbi would call this, a shade of faith. The shade of faith is so beautiful. It's powerful. Listen to this. At its core, the festival of tabernacles is about faith. We leave, they said, this rabbi wrote, we leave sturdy homes and move into flimsy wooden shacks for seven days. And doing so, we understand that true protection comes from our Creator, not the materials that our shelters we usually use for our protection. In other words, God would take trash, what's left over on the threshing floor, what's no good, what didn't produce any fruit, God would use as now something vital to show that He is the one who can protect. Though they rejected the stone the builders rejected, it became the cornerstone. What the world said was trash, God said was holy. And if God can take trash and use it, then He can take me. And use it. Now hear me. I'm not saying God's not telling you to get specialization. 
I'm not telling you this is a way out academically. This is not a way out for you to get certification. This is, not, this is not a way out for you not to be excellent in what you do. Robbie, this is not a way out for people just to rest and say, I'm going to do what I want to do. But what I am saying is, it's not your specialization that gets you to the place. It's God who calls you to the place. It's God who sees something in us before we have the validation of man and what they see in us. So everybody in this room is fair game to be used for the gospel of God. The palm trees, he said, that make up the roof will be sitting uh, 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 there atop. They're acceptable for use. I love what he says. He says, the trash of the threshing floor and the vineyard the undesired part of the plant becomes the very thing that casts the shade for us and protects us. The very undesired things of this world. God uses the foolish things. Come on, somebody. He'll use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And that's what he did in Jesus. He will take us. If I had time to proclaim to you, Listen, he says, what, what is amazing is that he says this, rain and the elements out of the unusable plant garbage, God uses that to show us that he is the one protecting our lives. And what we consider junk is what he uses. He said this, as Jews, we believe that life isn't broken. It's been designed perfectly, just as it meant to be. He talks about the shade of faith, and it's, it's brilliant in his thought concept, because the shade of faith, whatever God casts shade on, whatever God, God casts shade on, you have protection from. And so that shade was faith. And so he says, when things go wrong in your life, what happens is, when, when things go wrong in your life, when you have the shelter, as Robbie just read out of Psalm 91, the shelter, the shelter... That God is the, He of the Most High is our shelter and we hide under the shadow of His wings. In other words, the reason why that's so important is when God is our shelter and He casts a shadow of protection, then we see that as faith. So when things go wrong, we can still trust Him because it's underneath His grace. That is the power of the gospel. We often perceive our lives, he said, with childlike naivety. We look around at our circumstances and think that the right doors are closed. Come on. I'm talking to myself. Longingly, we hope and search for the key to open up the doors that we think they are going to make our lives right. When we're struggling and everything seems broken, we just want God to fix all our problems. The trouble is that when we look at our obstacles with narrow vision, we miss the big picture. Even when we can't understand why we experience challenges in our lives, there's something very powerful that allows us to withstand those challenges and even grow in those challenges. And the answer to that is faith. So Psalm 91, can we turn there? This is Psalm 91. And then we're going to go into 1 Corinthians 11 and take the Lord's Supper. He who dwells, right? Look at this, verse 1. The one who lives under, I'm at home in Christian stand. The one who lives under the protection of the Most High. 
dwells in the shadow of the Almighty. And everywhere we go, listen to this, everywhere we go, if, if God is our shelter, Jesus dwelt among them. Skene in the Greek, tabernacle, John 1.14. He is our tabernacle, Jesus. He is what the world said was trash. Has anything good come out of Nazareth? He is our shelter, and our shelter casts a shadow. And if we dwell under the shadow of the Most High, then when things go wrong because our shadow of our God is over the bad circumstance, we can walk through it by faith knowing that God is Lord over it even when we are in the midst of it. That's what it means for Jesus to be the cornerstone, and that is why I believe that the Holy Spirit led, to the best that I can understand Scripture, led him to Psalm 118 while they're singing it in the festival of Pentecost. That same psalm Peter uses to say, what you said was trash, God said, is my son. And what you said was general, Nazareth, God said is chosen. And God will do that for us. In us and through us. Verse 2, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. There's a shadow over our lives. His name is Jesus. And his shadow is so big that the government will be on his shoulders. That means your job, your finances, your health, your wealth, everywhere you go, your relationship status, your non-relationship status, whatever happens in your life, God is over it. And you and I can either say this today, well, that's nice, John, but you're not walking through my situation. Though I am not, Jesus is. And so we can either choose, we can either, I love, I love, where's Nicole? Where are you, Nicole? I lost you. You're in the back. Nicole that sings up here. Nicole, what, you said it backstage. You and I were talking. You were like, what's wrong, John? I'm like, ah, I got some stuff I got to pray through. And she, you said, John, you know, when, when like the Lord was really, came real to me in a lot of ways, when you said this, it stuck with me that sometimes it's when we just trust God for who he is. When you're in a situation and you literally cannot stand your boss, trust God for who he is. Just trust what he says. I didn't say you feel it. I didn't say you're flowing in it. There is a shelter over you. And that shelter, the cornerstone, is Jesus. And that shelter of protection casts a huge shadow, and we walk in that in faith. That he's going to protect us. That shadow reminds us that there's protection overhead from all the storms. And then what the world says is sturdy. That tabernacle feast you would walk away from and be reminded only God is who is sturdy. 1 Corinthians 11. And so at Summit, when we didn't have any money, we don't have a whole lot. Right, Kevin? We didn't have enough of plates and all this, and that's why it's here. And y'all know that, y'all know why we come and do it up here together, because we didn't have enough plates to pass around. We didn't even have deacons. We didn't have any of that stuff. You know, we just said, "Okay, here's the Lord's supper. Come get it, like supper. Come get it." 
And so what happens is you see we have the cup, we have the bread, and, and so we have tables so people can come and, and get this. And this is why it's happened because 1 Corinthians 11, we want to celebrate. We want to celebrate what Jesus has done in being our shelter. And we rest in him. Verse 23 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he, Jesus, was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Just a quick reminder. Some of you come out of traditions where it's called the Eucharist. Eucharisteo in Greek is the word for thanks. So, when the priest would hold the chalice up and give thanks, that's, that's where Eucharist came from. It's not this like mystical word. It means giving thanks, Eucharisteo. That's the actual Greek word here. So giving thanks, this is an opportunity for us in the midst of where we are today. As an act of worship, we're going to give thanks to the Lord that He is our shelter and that we rest under the shadow of the Most High. And that under the shadow of the Most High, God doesn't need specialization. He just needs our generalization that we would just surrender all that we have to Him. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It's the penal substitutionary atonement. He was our substitute. His body for our body. That's why when we die, we live. People that don't know Jesus, when they die, they go to hell. In the same way, after supper, he also took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant established by my blood. So when you take the cup and you pray and you give thanks, you say, thank you, God, that this blood, this blood, your blood, Jesus, means that the covenant that you have with me will never end and nothing can separate me from the love of God. Not life, not death, not angels, nothing. Not my wrong turns, my bad decisions, not my sins. Nothing can separate me from the love of God because it is sealed in your blood. The payment is in the body. The atonement is in the blood. There's no more wrath left for the people of God, but only love for God so loved. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you drink this cup, Excuse me, eat this bread and drink this cup. You proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And he said, now this is the way I want you to take it. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy uh, way will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. So a man should examine himself. Why? Because you don't want to come with an ungrateful heart. You don't want to come with an unthankful heart. So he examine ourselves himself in this way. He should, um, uh, in this way, he should eat the bread and drink from the cup, forever eats and drinks without recognizing the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you and many have fallen asleep. And there are many people in this profession say, no, that's why people are not, uh, they're not going to, uh, uh, that's not true, that's, that's just kind of whatever. I'm telling you, I hold to the stance that, yes, can you, can you bring stuff on you? Yes. But this is for us as believers, we rejoice in this. Because we have been bought and sealed by the blood of Christ. But we need to examine ourselves. And if something is 
wrong with between the Lord and I, we need to just confess it. If something is wrong between another person and I, I need to lay my gift at the altar, go make it right with that person when I can. If I take it in here, I go out there, I try to call them up and say, hey, man, let me make it right, whatever. Even if they wronged you and you didn't do anything wrong, but they're holding you accountable for it, it's the same way you do what Jesus did, right? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I'm the one that wronged him. He didn't wrong me, yet he came to me. Same principle. So we examine ourselves to take it. So I want to take a moment. I want us to examine ourselves. And then what I like to do to build community, because at Summit we're just not fancy, but hopefully you feel loved, is even if you don't know anybody, just get in a group, just join in. They're going to love you. If you've got bad breath, just keep your head down. I'm sorry. And just get, amen. And just get off to the sides. You can go back over the outsides and take it. And somebody leads. Somebody. Somebody in the group just say, listen, I don't, I don't know all this fancy stuff, but I do know this. I know Jesus loves me. And this is proof. So I'll, I want to thank you for your body, Jesus. Thank you. And then y'all take and eat. Jesus, I thank you for this cup that represents the blood, that we proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. That means the past is going to affect the future, which automatically impacts the present. So God, we're going to offer this to you. So as you come down after we pray, and you go off to the side and take, don't take it alone. It's not meant to be that way. If you're in here with your family, take it. Here with your friends, if you see somebody by yourself, listen, go get them. Bring them over there to you. Who knows what God might do? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, this is a time that we consider so holy and so precious. Two weeks, Lord willing, we celebrate the powerful resurrection. But there's no resurrection without a death. And so I pray right now, Lord, because Jesus died for us, may we and ourselves take up our cross and follow you. May we put to death the flesh in the sense that our desires that are contrary to you and follow you. And so, Lord, we want to look at our lives today for those that are in this room, the believers in this room. And all Christians are welcome to partake, Lord. Members are not. They're all welcome to partake. Open communion. And so, Lord, but I, I, before we do that, we want to examine our hearts. Lord, if, if we have offended and sinned against anyone, Lord, thank you that you forgive us. Show us how we can make it right. Give us the courage to make it right and to us to take the Jesus road, not just the higher road, but the righteous road, the highway of holiness, and to go and to make it right with that person, even if they say, I'll never forgive you. We still reach out. And Lord, if we sin against you, thought, word, action, deed, whatever it might be, if we didn't do something that we should have done or we did something that we should have done, Lord, we stand in need of the blood of Jesus. We thank you that his blood covers us forever and washes away our sins into the sea of forgetfulness. And if you say it's forgotten, then we shouldn't keep reminding you. 
So, Lord, I pray today, this time as my brothers and sisters are praying, just spending time with you and thanking you that we examine ourselves pleasing and worthy to you. And then when we go and we get the cup, we get the bread, we get off to the side, we say a prayer, we give thanks. We say, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, what Jesus said. In the same way, after supper, he took, uh, also took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant established in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Some people might want to read this passage and take it. Some people might want to pray this passage and take it. Lord, I just pray they'd be pleasing to you. And lastly, before we come forward, there's someone in this room, Lord, who they've just never been passed from death to life. They know a lot about church and they know a lot about Bible and they know a lot about rules and regulations and whatever those things are. But they don't know Jesus. They don't have a relationship where God is with them. And they know it. They, 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 right now, they just feel the sting in their heart. They know it. They're trying to rub it off. They're like, no, I got baptized. I got this. I got this. No, Lord, I'm talking about they just don't have that relationship and they know it. They, they, they know rules, but they don't know the Savior. I pray today, Lord, that that conviction they're feeling right now would produce a response of repentance by saying, save me, Jesus. I believe you died on the cross and God, you rose from the dead on the third day. Surrender myself to you wherever that leads, wherever it is. I don't even know what I'm doing, but I know that I got to do it because the Spirit of God has caused me to see the beautiful Jesus. And so I surrender. That is my prayer, Lord, as we partake. May we partake with thanks for the shelter that Jesus cast over our lives. We love you. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you come and partake of the Lord's Supper?